My name's Deborah, and I'm going to read to you from Psalm 91 to open our service and time together this morning. Psalm 91 starts like this. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. What a wonderful way to start our time together by acknowledging those words. And we're going to stand together and sing those words, some of those words, in our first hymn uh, this morning. And it says in the third verse of this hymn, be still and know your creator, this refuge and this fortress. So let's stand together and sing. again to uh, all of you in the building and to those of you online as well a warm welcome my name's Deborah as I said and I'm on the staff here at uh, St Matthews so today we've gathered together to sing together and to pray together and to hear from God's word together and next week we're going to be starting a series in Romans and but today we're going to be looking at suffering and Andrew's going to bring to us from the scriptures the hope that we can have in, in suffering. Is it possible to redeem suffering? 
And yes, it is possible. So those of you who are suffering today, open your hearts and your minds. And those of you that know someone that's suffering, prepare to open your hearts and minds to, to where you can bring hope as we redeem suffering. And with so much suffering around us, it's, it's a message I really want to hear from the scriptures. But before that, there's a few things to share uh, with you. Um, we say it every week. We love to connect. And... I know that this isn't necessarily the most technological group of people in the world, but you've got the card there in the front if you want to connect via form. Or, as Andrew says every week, you could try talking to us, and we would be good with that as well, or ring the office. So please connect. And particularly today, if anything comes up for you and you are suffering, please don't do that alone. Uh, Alpha is on. Again, we've had a few bigger announcements about that. So just a reminder about Alpha, which is a great way to connect if you've got any questions at all about the Christian faith. So that's on Tuesday, May the 10th. So it's no strings, no commitment. The first thing's just a dinner, just a dinner to turn up. So if you know someone that might be interested, call Suzanne or speak to one of us about who to talk to next. Have you heard of The Scoop? Some people have heard of The Scoop. And some people haven't. So the scoop is something that we're doing fairly regularly for people who are newish. So if you used to remember newish night and people used to come who were fairly new to the church. So next Sunday will be the first Sunday that it's been run for the 8 o'clock uh, service. And that's after the 8 o'clock service over the way. And it's an opportunity, it's about 15 to 20 minutes. And you might be actually new to the service or maybe you're just newish or Maybe you just think to yourself, well, I would like to know what goes on at St Matthews even though I've been here for 20 years. And you could talk to Andrew about whether that's a, something that would work for you and you get a free tub of ice cream for that as well. And I think 9am in the morning, tub of Anita's in the autumn, what more could you ask for? So it sounds pretty good. Uh, and the Women's Weekend Away, last chance to register. We really need the numbers. If you are coming to the Women's Weekend Away, it's on the 13th and 15th of May, and this is your last week to register. So please uh, contact Suzanne, ring the office, talk to me, and we'll uh, tell you how to do that. So we're going to be praying together after the message. Uh, quite often we would go straight into a time of prayer, but we're going to do that later after we've done the message today. What we're going to do now is to stand together and to state the things that we believe and to go on and thank God for all his gifts to us. It's such a privilege for us in this country to be able to do that together, isn't it, freely. We can just stand up and say, we believe this and we can do it without any fear of punishment. So let's stand together. What is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into heaven. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. There he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection and the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's thank God together. Gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us 
for life and health and safety, for power to work and leisure to rest, for all that is beautiful in creation. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour, Jesus Christ, for his the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace and believing through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to sing again as the singers come up. This is one of my absolutely favourite hymns. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I love the picture of Jesus calling, O weary one of our thirst being quenched and our souls being revived as we continue to walk in the light of Jesus' life. It's such a beautiful picture of his calling because it's a long life, as many of you have discovered, and I'm discovering it. So to hear the voice of Jesus say, come, is such a comfort. So let's sing together, I heard the voice of Jesus say.
Good morning. Our reading this morning, our Bible reading this morning is taken from John chapter 11, verses 1 to 27. Just give you a moment to find that. It's on page 1076 in the Pew Bible. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know you'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. This is the end of the presentation. <clears throat> Well, good morning uh, from me, for our guests. Uh, my name is Andrew. Uh, for those who are new online, uh, I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthew's and uh, really glad to have you with us today. So the subject for today is redeeming suffering, redeeming suffering. Now suffering comes in many forms. Some of us are very familiar with it. You might be there at the moment. It might be physical pain, 
and suffering. It may be mental anguish, maybe relational stress, or the stresses and strains of just everyday life and difficulties that we face. And one of the most natural things, even for someone who may not necessarily know God well, one of the most natural things to do when we're living with hardship is to pray to God for relief. And God has the power to do that, to answer our prayer in miraculous ways and bring us relief. But in his love and wisdom as our Father, he doesn't always grant what we ask when we ask for it. So I've been intrigued by something. I understand that uh, Nancy Guthrie once said, she's an American author and speaker who's written and spoken very helpfully into the space of of living with suffering and, and helping people who are in difficulty. Nancy Guthrie uh, says about the culture of prayer in a church, a church that only knows how to pray for suffering to be removed and knows nothing about praying for it to be redeemed is not a safe place for broken people. She goes on to say, people can be left confused and oftentimes angry when there was only prayer for deliverance and the deliverance didn't come. See, I think a question for, that I want to probe with us today is, is relief from pain all we want or expect from God? Either as a sufferer or as a church who are walking with those who are living with difficulty. Is there something else that we want for them, for ourselves? Is there something else to pray for as well, something more? Is there something greater than immediate healing or relief by which suffering can be redeemed. We really can be overwhelmed by the experience of hardship and and our first impulse is to pray for relief, immediate relief, for it to be removed. And it's, it's a good impulse, it's a proper impulse. But the scriptures alert us to how God might use hardship for our good and for his glory. And so today we're going to explore the ways in which God uses suffering for our good and for his glory, how he redeems suffering. And I'm particularly interested in this and the way that it might shape and develop and enrich the way in which we pray for ourselves and for others, the way we as a church community pray for each other and for people we love who are beyond the fellowship of his people here how it might enrich our prayers for those who are living with hardship. I think it is the sort of thing that can grow our culture of prayer as a church, that can develop the way we pray in our growth groups, that we pray in our devotional prayers, and and as we walk along, as we lift up concerns to the Lord. The place we're starting is in the story of Lazarus. We won't dwell there long, although that would be lovely to do, but our purposes are elsewhere today. I'll take you to another couple of places in the scriptures as well. But in the story of Lazarus, we see how how God is working for good, even though Lazarus and his sisters are not aware of what he is doing. Many of you will know the story of Lazarus well, but for those of you who don't, if we'd read further through John chapter 11, Uh, We would read of of how it culminates 
with Jesus going to the tomb of Lazarus. He's been there four days. He goes into the tomb and he brings him out alive again. In a way that points so clearly to who Jesus is and and what he's come to do. There's so much to learn about Jesus. It is a moment of glory for God. As people 2,000 years later read that story and are thrilled by it. And it fills us with hope. But in the middle of it all, you've got, a, you've got a man who suffers and dies. You've got his sisters, Martha and Mary, who love him and who are anxious with him while he's sick. And then in deep grief by the time that Jesus gets to their town. See, on the way to the, the glorious moment of the raising of Lazarus, there is anxiety, there's pain, there is grief. Jesus knows it's going to end well when he hears that Lazarus is sick. Did you notice that at the beginning of, of, of uh, John chapter 11? Uh, in verse 4, uh, he tells his disciples, after he's heard the urgent request to come, he says, this sickness will not end in death, in verse 4. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And we know, looking back, that it ended well. But Martha and Mary don't know that. Why, why wouldn't Jesus drop everything? He loves them. He loves, loves Lazarus. We're told that three times in the account of the raising of Lazarus. There's no doubt that he loves them. So why wouldn't he drop everything and answer their urgent call? When he knows that Lazarus is sick, why would he delay the trip? Why would he stay two further days after he's heard the news and go elsewhere before he goes to Bethany? There almost seems to be a note of exasperation, I think, when Jesus eventually gets there and Martha says to him in verse 21, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. See, they were standing where many believers are standing today, where you may be standing today, living with suffering, but not really understanding what God is doing at the moment. Maybe wondering why he's not answering your prayers for relief. It can be a baffling experience. It can really test your trust in God's goodness and love towards you. But we can know in part because of what happens at the tomb of Lazarus and what it pointed to, that Jesus is now working for our good and for the glory of God. You know, one of the best things you can bring to the experience of suffering and difficulty, to stress, to pain, to brokenness, one of the best things that you can bring to it is a really firm belief in the goodness of God in the sovereign goodness and graciousness of God so that you continue to trust him and believe in him even when you can't see what he's doing. And it's possible to know God like that, especially because of what happened with Lazarus and all that it said about who Jesus is. He's he's become the one who is now the ruler of the world and he loves us. He even loved Lazarus through his pain and suffering. When, when he got to the tomb of Lazarus, he wept for him. It was hard for him to hold himself back, but he knew the greater good that, that God the Father was doing and that he would do. So in the middle of it, we don't always know what God is doing. 
Although sometimes we do. Sometimes God reveals it quite plainly to us. Or maybe in the middle of it, we, we realize something and, 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 and we're thankful for it. I want to take you from Lazarus to the example of the Apostle Paul, who was a great one, but he suffered much. He suffered much as one who obeyed God's call to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, I want to take you particularly to his experience of what he describes as a thorn in the flesh. It, um, it tormented Paul terribly. And uh, he prayed urgently for God to take it away, but that didn't happen. And then God showed him what he was doing. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, In order to stop me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh. You can understand why he might have become conceited. He was a brilliant man, brilliant mind, fabulously well-educated. And the Lord Jesus had chosen him out of everybody to be the apostle to the Gentiles. His, his place in the, 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 the history of the unfolding of God's plan for salvation, Paul has a very important part to play in that. But he goes on to say in verse 9, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, God specifically spoke to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, it was a harrowing experience for Paul. But sometimes God has to humble us in order to teach us humility. Because pride is such a temptation for all of us, really. And he revealed to Paul exactly what he was doing at the time. Not long after I came to St. Matthew's, uh, Patsy came to see me. Uh, we'd met here in church, uh, but she made an appointment this time to come and see me. A uh, vibrant woman. Uh, she'd just uh, retired as a journalist. She had some great plans with her husband as to what they'd be doing together. She came to see me because she'd been feeling unwell, and she'd been to see a couple of doctors, and frankly, she was in shock from what she'd just been told. Uh, she had a, a late-stage cancer. Uh, it needed invasive treatment. And we talked together about that and we prayed together. And we kept in touch. Um, a little while later, it wasn't that long, uh, she made another appointment to come to me. She just <laughs> barged into my office. It was wonderful. Uh, but what she said was, I wish it didn't take a, a diagnosis of stage four cancer to bring me back to God but it said something about how far I had drifted from him. She said, I, I realise now that I was coming along to church, but I wasn't really living for God. And, and as much as I hate what this is doing to my body and what it's doing to the plans we had for our retirement, I am so glad for God's kindness and his patience with me. He has brought me back to himself. Now, sadly, it was not many months before we had Patsy's funeral here. But she was so keen that people heard the message of God's goodness to her. She wanted others to learn from her experience that God is everything and he is all that we need. And, and we are made to live for him. And she was so glad she had 
in the remaining days that she had of her life here, that she'd learnt that and she wanted others to learn that as well. We won't always have the experience of Paul or have the insight of, of Patsy. Sometimes we will. Sometimes God will make it quite clear to us. But there is a wealth of scripture in other places that alerts us to how God might redeem our suffering. And so I want to take you to the book of Hebrews, just to two verses. So much of that whole book is about responding to difficulty in life. It's quite profound, really. But just two verses from chapter 12, where verse 7 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. He is our loving and wise Father. And it may seem severe, but it's out of his love for us. Some parents understand this as they, as, as they um, discipline their children. Although it's not even with God's discipline us that we've done something wrong. It's what he wants to train us in. So he goes on to say in verse 11, No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now we get training here in Manly. Maybe you've wandered past the gyms. Maybe you're part of one of them, F45 or whatever it is across here. Or maybe you're part of one of the, the teams out the front um, on the beach there uh, that I see exercising and you know, flexing in the mornings. Uh, it's effective in building bodily strength and fitness and often creates a whole sense of, of, of well-being. God works through our hardships, through the hardships and difficulties that, that we experience for the good of our souls. See, there's a purity of faith, a maturity of Christian character that can only be forged through suffering. There's a certain kind of greatness that can only be reached through enduring through great adversity. You know, as a community, as a, as a race, over the last couple of years, we've been living through a time of difficulty. Um, it's affected us all in some ways, at all sorts of levels. Have you been conscious of God training you and teaching you through this? growing you and developing you and maturing you. In my own case, I had a mild uh, but very well publicised case of, of COVID. I think mine was the best well-known case of COVID at St Matthew's um, back, in, uh, back in January. And that wasn't a great uh, adversity for me. I think for me, a, a lot of what I found difficult is the uncertainty and the changeability and and the general level of anxiety which is, we've kind of passed to each other. And um, I'm, I'm someone who, who really likes getting things done and not being able to, to work in the routines that I'm used to, I found discombobulating at times. Certainly I was languishing at times. But I asked God to help me through this and to be teaching, teaching me things. And, and one of the things I realised he, he, he was teaching me and has been teaching me is that I don't have to tick all the boxes I like to tick in order to please him. And, and I've particularly focused on, on what it says in Ephesians 2 about God preparing good works for, to, for us to do. 
He prepares good things for us to do every day, even though they may not be the things that we had planned. And so I found myself praying regularly that God would show me the good things, however insignificant they might seem to me, that he had for me in the day ahead, and that he would give me the wit and the will and the strength to do that which pleased him. And I I learned a, a certain contentedness that God was working his purposes out and to be satisfied that he knows what he's doing, and he does. And so that testing of me was helpful for me. I, I, I wonder, it'd be interesting to hear if, if there are things that you've been learning. I'd love to hear them. I'm sure there are ways that I haven't been aware of that God is working in me for the sake of my soul as well. And I believe that because of what Hebrews teaches about God's fatherly goodness and his wisdom towards us. Hebrews teaches us that though it is not pleasant at the time, and we don't have to pretend that it's better than it is, God redeems our suffering. He produces in us a harvest of righteousness and peace as we endure through his grace. Now we could go to other parts of the scriptures But I hope I've said enough today to to give you a glimpse of this idea of the the way in which God redeems our suffering and in which our suffering can be redeemed. But what I want to move on to as I prepare to, to wrap up is how that idea of redeeming suffering might shape and reshape and enrich our prayers for ourselves and for one another. I do want to say, keep praying for God to bring relief and comfort. Pray for God to do something miraculous and and pray for the doctors and the psychologists and the, the health workers who have gifts given to them by God that mean they're skilled in helping to heal broken bodies, helping to mend damaged relationships, helping to ease troubled minds. Keep praying for God to bring restoration and relief. Uh, Learn from the Bible how to pray. If you're not familiar with the Psalms, study the Psalms. You could start with Psalm 13. It's it's just full of gold. I often find myself using some of the phrases from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Sometimes suffering just keeps going. Sometimes you watch others. I've had some friends, I've found... Every time I've prayed for them, I've gone, how long, O Lord, till you bring some change and relief? Psalm 13 teaches us to pray, how long, O Lord, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Have you forgotten me? Look on me and answer. Give light to my eyes. I trust in your unfailing love. Keep praying for relief. Don't give up on that. Know that God is listening. He loves you. He knows where you are and he can bring that change. But there's more to pray than just for relief. Pray that your your experience of hardship won't be wasted. Pray that it will be redeemed. I mean, it might be that you're praying for someone who doesn't yet know God or may have drifted away from God. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our pleasures and he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You could pray, as you pray for the relief of someone you love who doesn't know God, 
that he would use this experience to rouse them so they might listen to him. And more gently, somewhat, you could pray that by his spirit, this person you love will know the peace that passes all understanding as they come to know the great shepherd of his sheep, the Lord Jesus, or as they come back to him and come to their senses. They'll know that goodness of God through Christ. But for believing brethren, for brothers and sisters, pray that their suffering and your suffering will be redeemed through that process of training and growing and maturing that we've been listening to from the book of Hebrews. The sort of training and growing and maturing that can only take place through suffering. Pray that God will work in your own soul so that you learn through, you learn through the experience of difficulty what it means to truly follow Jesus who went to the cross, to be his disciple, to be disciplined in that sense by our Father who is not punishing you but who is lovingly teaching you. Jesus loves you no less when you are in difficulty than when everything is going well. We can know that because he is the one who made everything. He is the one who is presently directing the affairs of nations, of families. He's the one who's directing the affairs of your life. He knows you intimately. And if he delays answering your prayer for relief, know that he, 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 he does so for some wise reason. I've been reading a devotional book by J.C. Ryle, so you'll hear me keep quoting him. But I, re I read this that he said the other day. <clears throat> when I say the other day, um, back in the 1800s, when he was a bishop in England. He says, The hand that was nailed to the cross is too wise and loving to smite without good reason or to keep us waiting without relief, without a good cause. So pray, pray for God to take away the suffering, the pain of the suffering. And pray too that he will comfort you and comfort others in a way that means they're learning more and more to trust him. That through hardship we'll learn that he is enough. He is all we need. Now in the middle of pain and brokenness, it is just awful. But in God's goodness... Suffering presents us with incredible opportunities to develop deep, genuine, life-changing devotion to God. It's often the experience that brings into focus how much our faith in Christ matters. It strips away distractions and it teaches us that Jesus is enough. Now, in a moment we're going to uh, move to a time of reflection and then Deb is going to lead us in prayers. I'll just do a couple of things first and, and one is to mention if you're in the middle of something now and you'd like uh, one of the staff to pray with you just let us know. You could let Deb or I know if there's a moment we could pray this morning but we'd be very happy to make a time uh, to pray with you. Uh, so please know that we're available and that we'd love to talk and pray with you. But what we're going to do before Deb prays now is to take a moment to reflect. And I'm going to put another verse up. This one's from Romans 5. It just shows you that process by which 
suffering is redeemed in the lives of believers through the Lord Jesus. Where the Apostle says, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. How might that idea of redeeming suffering affect the way that you approach prayer for yourself and others? How might it affect the way you ask others to pray for you? It might be something that you want to pray about right now to God. So I'll give you a full minute to do that. Let's reflect as some of us pray. We're going to have a time of prayer now and reflect some of the things in our prayer time that Andrew's just shared with us. So let's pray. Lord, we grieve with those who grieve. We long for those who are broken to be made whole, for those who are in turmoil to know peace, and for those in pain to find relief. In your mercy, please bring healing. We will never stop praying for healing and bring weary ones to rest. And Lord, we pray for those who are in distress, those who have lost sight of your goodness. By the power of your merciful spirit, bring them the comfort and hope of Christ and enable them to persevere. Be their living water, their life-giving stream. And insofar as it's possible, make them glad. Redeem their suffering. Lord, we pray for those who are living with hardship of any kind. In your mercy, train them to reap a harvest of peace and righteousness. May you be their star and their sun and their resting place. In our community here particularly, we pray for Helen Hancock, as she recovers from head and neck injuries sustained in a fall. God, grant her peace and rest and complete recovery and an increasing awareness of your goodness. We pray for Pat Irving, preparing for further cancer treatment this week. Surround her with the peace that only you can give, the peace that passes all understanding and show her the good things you have for her to do through it all. And we bring you now in our own hearts those that we know are suffering.
and Almighty God and Father, as we prepare for Anzac Day tomorrow, we give you thanks for all who have served in the Australian Defence Forces, for their great sacrifices in conflict and in captivity, knowing that so many of them in their suffering would have cried out to you and known your presence. We pray for the Australian military personnel currently deployed around the world. Give them courage in adversity, safety in service and protection from harm. Give believers and give the chaplains wisdom and words of comfort and hope that reflect your goodness. Across the world, we pray for all those defending their countries in the armed forces, even as we pray for peace and continue to ask that in our broken and divided world, you would banish the spirit that makes for war, that you would make leaders of nations and governments pursue freedom, justice and welfare for all peoples. Even as we pray especially that peace will come soon to the people of Ukraine, we ask, Lord, that you would be their comfort, that through it all, people would see the goodness of God, that they would see your love for them, that they would cry out to you, even as they reflect the words of Psalm 13 and say, how long, O Lord, that you would come to them and that they would know your goodness. And let's say together now as we gather all our prayers, when he was asked, how do we pray? Jesus said, pray like this. So let's pray like this with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Amen indeed to all our prayers and to the prayers that you brought for the people that you know are suffering or in your own suffering. And we're going to sing our final hymn together now that proclaims God's glory and might and power and wisdom. So as you think of his goodness, think in the goodness of God, all of these things can be brought into my suffering and to this, into the suffering of others. Lord of creation, to you be all praise. Let's stand and sing. Thank you. 
time together. As always, you're warmly invited to join us for morning tea. What have you taken away today? What's a phrase that sticks with you? The goodness of God? That there can be, that God can redeem our suffering? Or perhaps for you it's, how long, O oh Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? Because he's with you in it all. And we really encourage you today that if you are suffering, don't suffer alone. Reach out and, as Andrew said, um, pray with us. And if you're online, please um, fill in the Connect card and we'll, one of us will contact you as well and pray with you even over email, but you could also call the office. So it's a joyful walk, though. You know, I just read those words that said, your bondage is freedom, your service is song. And I think bondage and service doesn't sound very joyful, is it? But it's freedom and song. So I hope when you go to morning tea today also that you're filled with hope and not thinking, oh, suffering, what a downer. It's not that at all. It's suffering. Thank you, Lord. This is where I'm going to meet the goodness of God. We're going to finish now with a verse from Romans. Let's say this together. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.